0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Hey, good morning. I want to ask you a question here. Have you ever held a grudge against someone else before? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh Deborah, uh, <laughs> uh got gotcha. Uh yeah. But now seriously, think about this. What uh what are some things you do when you hold a grudge? Like when you are right, like somebody has hurt you, somebody's done something against you, and you've got this grudge that you're hanging on to. What are some of the things that you do? Right? Is it like like you um you know, you hear negative stories about them, you're like, see that reaffirms what I already knew. You know, I knew they weren't trustworthy or you know, you're uh you're at Myers and you see them coming down from afar, so you duck down an aisle so they can't see you and you don't have to make an awkward, you know, uh interaction. Maybe um you know, maybe you're just like, Well I'm not I'm not gonna talk to them anymore, I'm not going to, you know, Whatever. Um, but I don't know, um, you know, what are the things that when we hold grudges, what, what do we do? How do we nurse that thing and, and help it keep going forward? I remember when my dad was still living, um, there was a season where I had held a grudge against him and uh, for things, you know, he had said and had done, and so uh, I had just decided I'm not talking to him anymore, and um, so I don't remember how long, it was quite a, quite a long time. And we lived two and a half hours away from one another, so there wasn't really a big fear of, will I run into him at Kroger or you know something along those lines. When uh, when I thought when I thought about him or memories would come, I would either get very angry or I kind of get sad about. Uh, what was going on? The situation that was taking place, um, all of those types of things. But but I just remember during that time, um, you know, intentionally finding ways to kind of like nurse that grudge along and maintain it and and keep it going. And uh, thankfully, uh, after time and and the Holy Spirit working on my life, uh, God reconciled that relationship in a pretty remarkable way. And before my dad passed away, he actually came to faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. It was a remarkable time uh, in his life and and in our lives to witness this thing happen. I don't have time to get into that whole story. Some of you guys already know that story, but it was absolutely amazing to see uh, what God had done in that season and in that time. And when you're reading through the Gospels, right, if you can start in Matthew and go all the way to John, pretty early on, you know, you get to like Mark 11, verse 25, you see Jesus essentially telling people, don't hold grudges against others, right? Um, He says it this way, uh, forgive others as you have been forgiven, right? And so the person who hurt you, forgive them. The person who said, uh, you know, hurtful things about you, the person who took advantage of you, the person who uh, abandoned you, the person who, you know, insert whatever it was, uh, his point is, forgive them. Grant them forgiveness. And it's like, well, why? It's like, well, because you've been forgiven, right? You've hurt God, you've taken advantage of the Lord, um, you've right, lived in opposition to Him. You've done things that were, were hurtful to Him, and and He's forgiven you through Christ. And so, those who have received forgiveness should be quite quick to give it away. You might say it this way: Forgiven people forgive people, right? And give that away freely. You've received freely, you give in that regards, and so. Jesus essentially says, don't hold grudges. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually journeying through Galatians, as Pastor Matt said. We're starting in chapter 3, but we're actually going to make it all the way to chapter 5 this morning. So we're going to cross three chapters of Scripture. So I don't know what your plans were. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, he's sitting down. This can't be good. <laughs> uh, first service must have gone long. Uh, but... So we're gonna. What we're gonna do is we're gonna read some passages and then and then briefly talk about some key things that are out of them. We'll read some more and we'll kind of work through there until we get into chapter five and then kind of go. What does all of this mean for us? What does it look like? Those types of things. So as you're going to Galatians three, uh, we're in this series called No Other Gospel, and the whole point in this is to say, literally, the gospel of Jesus is the only thing that can. Take a dead person and bring them to life, can bring new life, can bring people into freedom, uh, uh, right? All of those things. There's no other good news, right? There's no good news of wealth. There's no good news of notoriety. There's no good news of retirement. There's no good news of, you know, l- l- ease of life. Like that will not transform who you are at your core. The only thing that can save you, the only thing that can redeem you, the only thing that can make you new and bring you into a right relationship with the Father is. Jesus, right? That's the driving heart behind no other gospel. And so I hope that's what everybody walks away with uh, through this series. But we're going to be in Galatians. Oh, by the way, hey, how did, if you did the Galatians reading and reflecting, how'd that go? Was that good last week? Was that a helpful thing to go through the letter of Galatians and and do all of that? Good. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, Yeah. She's ready. So I'm just, I'm just going to talk to Deborah this morning. You guys can listen in uh, as we go through the rest of this, right? She's like, oh, Lord, why do I sit in the front? Uh, <laughs> good. That's right. That's right. Hey, let's, let's pray before we go any further. <clears throat> God, as I was joining the church in worship this morning, you really brought to mind the fact of how amazing a gift the Scripture is. And how freely it flows in in our city, in our county, and in our in our nation still today. Like nobody's outlawing the Bible. Nobody's saying you have to turn that over and you can't own one and you can't read from it and you can't. Like that's amazing to me, and the clarity and the fact that the Holy Spirit uses us uh, uses the Scriptures to to point out the reality of who we are without you, the reality of who we are in you. thank you. Thank you for this good gift. And Lord, I don't, I don't just want to read it. Like we're going to read a lot of scripture and there's a level where I can imagine some people like, oh gosh, we're just going to read scripture. It's like, Lord, we're going to, we're going to read your words. We're going to read what you said, and, and you're going to convey truth through the Holy Spirit in this fresh way that's going to help us to see you. And I just want to pray against every barrier, every distraction, every preconceived notion that is setting itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would crush those, and we in our own parts would actually move those things to the side and welcome truth to invade our lives, to let the light of the gospel go to the dark places of our hearts and our souls and allow you to bring healing and freedom in ways we never thought we would be able to experience. We ask for that today boldly and with great humility in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me give you just a quick context of Galatians so what happened is Paul was traveling making disciples of Jesus, planting churches he did that in the region of Galatia he stayed there for a little while teaching people about who Jesus was, how to walk in faithfulness uh, to him, relying on the Holy Spirit and then he the Lord moved him on well after Paul left another group of teachers came in um, we call them the Judaizers, right? It wasn't like they didn't have like a gang name or anything, right? It's not like they weren't the jets, you know, snapping their way into Galatia. Um, But, you know, these Judaizers came in and they said, hey, if you want to be a real Christian, you actually have to be a Jew first. So you have to follow all of the Old Testament uh, feasts and celebrations, the customs, the law, circumcision, all of it in order to be a real Christian. Because if you don't, then you're not really saved. You're not really in a healthy relationship with God. And so word got back to Paul from Galatia that this was going on, and so that's where this letter came out of. Paul is saying, no, that's so wrong. Nobody's saved by your work. Nobody's saved by being really religious and keeping all the rules. The only way you're saved is by grace, through faith, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's it, right? That's the, the tenor of this letter. And so keep that in mind as we're reading through these scriptures today. So I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Um, I'm also going to read from the New Living Translation today because we're working through some longer sections. I felt like this might help us uh, follow the line of thought a little bit more clearly. So Galatians three twenty six. it says this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now we'll pause there just for a quick second, because what Paul's doing is he's essentially listing out the benefits of faith in Christ, right? There's like four. I'm just going to list them very quickly. We can't unpack them, but the four benefits are this. Number one, you're adopted as a son of God, a son or daughter of God. Like faith in Christ causes you to be adopted as a son or a daughter of God, which is great because without him, you're a, you're, a son, you're a child of wrath, right? You're under his wrath, you're under his separation, all of that. That's the first benefit. The second one is you, uh, you're putting on Christ, right? You now, what he means by that is you now have a new identity, Your character is being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's like putting on new clothes, right? The old dirty ones are gone, the new clothes in Christ are put on. The third one is that all the divisions that we love to live by, right? Jew, Gentile, free, slave, male, female... OSU, Michigan, right? All of those things go away, most of them. They they just, they're they're gone in Christ, right? Because now there's just one. There's just, we're all one in Christ. And so all those things that used to divide us actually get pushed to the side. and, And there's unity in Christ. And then the last one is this. He says, Now, because of all of that, you're the true children of Abraham. You know what he's saying? you're you're the real Jews. You're You're the true Jewish people, the people of the promise. And that means you are an heir. And you're an heir to God's promise when God said to Abraham in Genesis, I will always be your God. I'll always be with you. And Paul is calling us back to those things. Now, each of those four truths or benefits could be like, that's a four-week series right there. But I think it's helpful just to list those out and recognize like, what is true now that we're in faith in Christ. So let's pick up with chapter 4, verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. And we were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But, I love that. That means there's this shift coming. But, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And so Paul is reminding, he says, listen, before Christ, the law was the revealer of our sin, right? We talked about this last week. The law was a limiter of our sin, acting as that tutor with the stick, right? And the, but the law was waiting. The law was waiting for the promised one to come who would fulfill all of the law on our behalf and and then it would move to the side because it's by faith and it's always by faith, but now we know who that promised offspring is. And when I think about that, it's like, it's crazy to me that when, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul's life for just a moment. So the Apostle Paul was probably born before Jesus died and was raised from the dead, okay? Okay. So he was born into a life. He was born into Judaism where, for him, everything was about the law, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was ahead of everybody else around him. He, he tried to justify himself by following the Jewish law. And then Jesus died, and then Jesus resurrected, and he wasn't really happy about that. Paul wasn't happy about that before, so he was going around trying to shut that down. And then he met Jesus face-to-face, the resurrected Jesus, and it transformed him and he threw the trying the self-justification self-righteousness he threw all that to the side and he started living by faith paul literally lived in that transition he was in that transition in real time like when jesus was raised to life that blows my mind that he's, and, and so he's trying to explain this to the Galatians. And he's saying, listen, because of Christ, everything's different now, right? The Holy Spirit used to only be for very special people. You know, people like Moses, people like Elijah, people like some of the prophets, they had access to the Spirit, but not everybody. But now because of Christ, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, everybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ now has access to the Holy Spirit. He actually takes up residency in your life. And, and Paul, right, Paul makes a really clear statement in other places of Scripture. He says, listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, you're not a believer. Right? That's Romans 8. That's, that's Ephesians chapter 1. He, the Holy Spirit is the, is the down payment that you are God's and you belong to him. And so the Holy Spirit active in your life is a really critical piece of walking in fellowship with him. And Paul goes on to say in this letter so much that actually when the Holy Spirit's active in your life, he's going to draw you closer and closer to the Father. He's saying this is way different than God and his creation. This is God living in you, right? And not like a version of God, and not like some smaller percentage of God. Like God, Holy, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is living inside of you if you've been truly born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he says when that happens is it raises the closeness, it raises the intimacy between you and God, so much so that you come to the place that you refer to him as Abba. You know what Abba means? You know what it means? Yeah, it means Daddy. Or, or, or Papa, right? It's a, it's a term that little Jewish kids would have used, and, and they see their, maybe their dad's out working all day in the field, or he's a carpenter, he's hanging out with the other dads at the marketplace, and, and he comes home at the end of the day, and, and the kids can kind of see him far off, and they're like, Abba! Abba's coming, right? And they might go run out to him and jump up into his arms, and, you know, there's this closeness, there's this intimacy. Papa's home, Daddy's here. And Paul is saying when the Holy Spirit's living in you, that's the kind of relationship that you end up having with the Father. This isn't a fearful, oh, I'm not sure that I can, if I'm allowed, but it's, that's my Father. That's my Papa, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that is a game changer for walking in faith with Jesus Christ. So that's that's so critical. So Paul keeps on going, right? Verse 8. He says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say that now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years, and I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you is for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things for I have become like you gentiles free from those laws. Have you ever like had a friend or uh, maybe a child, maybe a coworker, somebody you care about, somebody you love, and you see them walking a pathway and you've walked that pathway before and you know where that pathway goes? And you know how the movie ends, and where the credits end up, right? All that kind of stuff. And you're trying to tell them, "Listen, you don't want to walk this pathway. Don't do this." But they're not. They're not listening to you, right? Like, ah, it's different. Get out of my way, boomer, right? Like that. They're just they're they're bent on going. And you're like trying to help them, and you're trying to coach them, and you're trying to. And they don't want to listen. You ever been in that situation? That's what Paul's doing right here. He's going. I used to be just like you I tried everything I could to justify myself by the law didn't work didn't work just get you tired and over you start getting angry You start hunting people down it's not good right and so he's saying I used to do that I was there and Christ set me free don't go back into slavery that's crazy why you're just going under slavery under a new name used to be under paganism and now you're going after under Judaism but it's the same thing right he goes, live free That's what Christ is. He set us free, and so let's stay there. Let's go there. So he keeps talking to to his friends in Galatia, finishing verse 12. He says, you didn't mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and you cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone's eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time and not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. Like ladies, right? Come on. (laughs) Paul, (laughs) do you know what you're talking about? Uh, Yeah, he's doing the best he can. Um, And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. I, I love this section because Paul is, he's, his love for Galatia is so clear. It's like so evident right now. He, he's calling back to when they were together. You know, in the very beginning, he came and he shared the gospel with them. And, and he's, he's drawing back memories from the time they spent together. He's like, Rick, don't you remember? Like, we prayed together and we saw God move in, a, in an amazing way. And, and Cheryl, I was there when Bobby was born and we, and we dedicated him to the Lord together. It was absolutely incredible right? And and, and and Brandon, right? Like, like uh, you, your wife came back and we celebrated the reconciliation that God did through that. And so he's calling back this this relationship and he's, he's basically asking the question, what happened? What happened? People came in and they started teaching you things that weren't really true and now I'm your enemy? What, what happened to the place where we were literally willing to lay down our lives for one another? And now that I'm speaking truth with clarity to you, you You you, you're just resisting? Right? That's he's going that's crazy to me. So you're seeing this relationship with such strength there. All right, look what he says in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? I love this. It's it's like he's just teeing up for a fight right here. I love it. All right. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. That verse is so important. I cannot overemphasize what is being communicated there. We're going to come back and talk about that. But these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She's the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, we are children of the free woman. And so I love this because Paul's like, okay, so you want to live by the law? Yeah, let's talk about the law. How well do you know the law? Let's go back and talk about the law. And so what he does is he uses this account from the Old Testament, and he goes back to Abraham and Sarah. If you're not familiar with this, God told Abraham and Sarah, through you, I'm going to give you a son. Now, what's amazing about that is up till then, they did not have any children. And then secondly, the way the scriptures describe it, Abraham and Sarah were Overly mature, right? To be able to, right? (laughs) Some versions say, uh, we're as good as dead, (laughs) right? So it's like child uh, birthing days, those are gone. (laughs) That's over. So this would be amazing if God did something along those lines. But God said, I'm going to do that for you, right? I'm going to blow your minds. So Abraham and Sarah, they're, you know, they're doing their best to trust and believe that. And then at some point, Sarah was like, I'm going to help the Lord. Keep his promise, right? So she came up with an idea. And this was her idea Abraham, I want you to take my maidservant Hagar, and you have sex with her, and then you'll have a son. And that's how we'll have, we'll help God keep his promise, right? Great plan. What could go wrong? (laughs) And so it happens. And lo and behold, it's like, it worked, right? There's the son, Ishmael, by Hagar. And, and Sarah's like, it worked. And then she's like, it worked, you know? And it was not, ex- and she gets like so upset about this, she actually kind of starts to get abusive, mistreating Hagar, Ishmael. So much so at one point, uh, Ishmael and Hagar, they just, they, they leave, right? They run out of the camp and they're out on their own and all of that. And, and then later, Right, God kind of chastises Sarah and Abraham and says, "Listen, do you think I need your help keeping my promises?" And, and a little bit after that, Sarah became pregnant, and she had a son by the name of Isaac, right? And so God kept his promise to them, even though they were really mature. And so what happens is Abra- excuse me, Paul says, this, story, this account, really happened, right? This is, a real, this is real history. But second, it also points to a greater spiritual truth. This is what Paul says. People who try to live by the law and earn a right relationship with God by being really, really good and following all the rules and, you know, whatever their law is, those people are like Hagar. They're trying to help God keep his promise, right? It's when you try to pay back God for Jesus' work on the cross and out of the grave. When you try to match him dollar for dollar for the generous gift he's given you, right? When you try to become righteous by your own works, he says, you're like Hagar, right? You're trying to help me keep a promise, and I don't need your help to keep a promise. And he says, you know what? Do you know what happened to the slave woman and her child? They're outside of the inheritance. They're not a part of the promise because they try to do it on their own. And if you try to do it on your own, you're outside of the promise. There's no inheritance for you. There's nothing for you in that, right? You're chasing after wind. But then he says, Sarah, Sarah is like those who simply trust me to keep my promise on my own, right? People who live that way They do receive the inheritance. They are a part of the family. They are adopted. They are in, right? All of those types of things. What's amazing to me is this. So on the one hand, Paul is saying, listen, I will keep, or excuse me, God is saying, listen, I will keep my promises. I don't need your help to keep my promises. You really think I need your help? I don't, right? I can do this. I will do this. And the second thing is this. Whose idea was it in the first place with the Sarah and Hagar thing? It was Sarah's idea. Sarah's the one who blew it. Hagar was just kind of a tool in the process. So I want you to think about this. Paul is saying God will keep his promise in spite of, but also there's an act of grace within this. That God still kept his promise to a woman who decided she was going to try to help God instead. Right? You see what? There's like this double layer here of, I will always keep my promise. And even when you try to step in and help me, I'm still going to keep my promise because that's who I am. Right? And it's amazing to me in that regards that we're, we live by faith and we, we receive a blessing that we don't deserve. And then Paul quotes Isaiah 54 verse one. Do you know what Isaiah 54 is all about? It's all about the blessings of being in a healthy relationship with God, right? All the shame is gone. You got all the honor. You got all this huge family God's providing for you. It's like amazing. It's awesome. It's incredible. Isaiah 54 is like this party chapter. It's phenomenal. And he quotes verse one. I love what he does. He says, listen, rejoice, old childless woman. You who have never given birth, break into joyful shout. You who have never been in labor. Check it out. Here's what he's saying. You never got pregnant, you never gave labor, you never went through all of the work that it takes to bring in children, but the desolate woman now has more children. You know what he's saying? I do the work for you. I take care of the work, and you trust me. I give you the blessing. You trust me. I give you the blessing. You walk with me, right? Isaiah 54 is all about the blessings of of, uh, a right relationship with God. Do you know what comes right before Isaiah 54? Not a trick question. Isaiah 53. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right. Not a trick question. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54 is all about the blessings of walking in a healthy relationship with God. You want to know what Isaiah 53 is all about? The suffering servant who's going to come. The suffering servant who's going to come and be despised and rejected. The suffering servant who's going to come silent like a lamb to the slaughter. The suffering servant who's going to be crushed for our sins in our place. Isaiah 53 has to happen first. But you can't do it. Because it's already been done by Christ. So what do you get? You get Isaiah 54. Because of the work of Christ. Christ. Because of your faith and your trust in him. This is what Paul is saying, right? Paul is saying, you cannot get the blessing through following the law. You cannot be made righteous by following the law. It only comes as a gift. It only comes through God fulfilling his promise and you believing him for that. That's it. And then you get to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is our last verse. Let's do this. Let's actually read this passage out loud together, starting with, So Christ has. Are you ready? go. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Paul had to say, write everything before that so that he could write that and to help us understand it. So the question then becomes, right? So it's like Paul says, you've been set free by Christ. Now what? Well, stand firm. How do we do that? Paul just showed us how to do it in chapter 3, 26, all the way up to four thirty-one, He just showed us how to do it. He showed, you know what he did? Here, here's, let me break it down for you. First, it's this. You got to know the truth. If you're going to stand firm in your freedom in Christ, you got to know the truth. You got to, right? So what we talked about last week, you got to know the difference between faith and law. You've got to be engaged in the scriptures and see, how has God revealed himself? What does God say about who he is? What does God say about truth and our condition and how that thing is really solved? Right? And so it's, it's engaging in the scriptures, reading, reflecting, right, uh, studying, asking questions, all those types of things, but you've got to know the truth. The second thing is this, is we've got to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit in you. Okay. You've got to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit in you. Because that, right? that's the demarcating line on whether you're a believer or not. If the Spirit's in you, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, you're a believer. right? And so what the Spirit's going to do is he's constantly going to be drawing you to know the Father more and more, to be closer to him, to trust him more, to rely on him more. He's never going to ask you to trust God less. He's never going to ask you to rely on God less and rely on yourself more. right? It's actually the exact opposite. Trust yourself less, trust God more. And so here's the thing, that comes out in a lot of practical applications, right? Sometimes like when I'm binging whatever on Hulu and I sense the Holy Spirit drawing me to scripture, you know what I need to do? I need to shut that thing down and go get engaged in scripture. In the times I'm doing something else that maybe I, I do or don't need to do, but I sense the Holy Spirit prompting me to pray, I need to do what he's asking me to do and just trust him through prayer, right? It's like becoming sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we're meant to walk that way. We're meant to live that way, trusting him moment by moment, day by day. And then the last thing that Paul does is he says, listen, if you're going to stand firm, you got to stand firm with other growing disciples. We do this thing together. This is not a me and Jesus, and we're going to go figure this thing out by ourselves in the prayer closet. It's like, no, actually, we do this together like a family. See, there's what I call hidden plurality in the New Testament. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, even in verse 1, right, of, of chapter 5, there's this, you know, you, you stand firm. Well, we read that as me, right? That's actually not who it's written to. That you is a plural you. So Paul is saying, y'all, y'all stand firm, Right? Youans, stand firm together, right? Because we do this together. And I want to say something. you got to hear this. And it's not just because this is a point in the message. You need the Bible as much as you need the Holy Spirit as much as you need the body of Christ to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. The body of Christ is as critical as the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to standing firm in our freedom in Christ that's been purchased for us, right? Now, there's one last thing I want to share before we shut this down. In the, New, in the New Living Translation, verse 1 says it this way. Uh, now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. The ESV translates it this way. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what Paul is making the point, hey, don't go back to trying to earn your freedom. Don't go back trying to match God dollar for dollar. You're like you know, It's an act of grace. It's a gift. Just thank him for it. Trust him for it. Believe him for it. That's it. But it says, right, don't submit again and don't get tied up again. And and those are good ways to translate that, but there's actually a third translation for the word that's used in the Greek, and it's this. Hold a grudge. And so if you put that in there, this is how it would be translated, right? It would be, now, uh, excuse me, it would be, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and hold a grudge against slavery to the law. hold a grudge to thinking that you can save yourself without God. Hold a grudge thinking that you can make yourself righteous by your lifestyle and what you do and what you don't do. Hold a grudge against sin in your life. Hold a grudge against the effects of death in your life. Like, nurse that thing, right? Like, like think, think really critical thoughts about self-righteousness and religion and in your own life, right? Like, hold that grudge so that, like, cut it out of your life. Never again return to it. If I see you in mine, I'm running away, right? I'm pointing you out to everybody, right? That's the law, <laughs> you know? But hold a grudge, Hold a grudge against that. This is the only time when holding a grudge is good. When holding a grudge is actually honoring to the Lord. When you hold a grudge against self-righteousness. Right? Against sin. Against paying Him back. And when you hold a grudge against sin and slavery to the law, you know what happens? You start finding Christ freeing your heart from bitterness. You start finding the Holy Spirit inviting you into worshiping the Lord in a way that you don't give a rip what anybody else around you thinks. You start finding, you're you're comparing yourself to other people way less than you ever did. Your greatest desire is to simply bring joy to the Lord, even if it costs you greatly, right? Because it's like, I just, I just want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. No one else has done what you've done, Jesus. Right? And, and you get everything I have. The whole, and when you hold a grudge against self-righteousness, what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will actually lead you to develop this very close relationship with the Father to the point where you will call Him Abba. And when you see Him coming, you run to Him. Baba's here, I just want to be with him. And so here's what I want to encourage you with an action step this week. Pray. That's it. Just pray. Like, get in the presence of God Almighty and talk to him and listen, right? And I'm not talking about, like, thanking him for, you know, your salad and your Brussels sprouts. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about, oh man, it's going to be a tough day. Lord, help me. Um, I'm talking about like literally just sitting in his presence at his feet, right? And maybe you just block out 15, 20 minutes of time, no agenda. And you tell him, hey God, I really want to be with you. And quite frankly, I'm not going anywhere until you show up. And if 15 minutes turns into 20 or half an hour or even longer, You've burned more time on doing stuff worse than that. Right? I have. Here's the the cool thing. What about when God does show up? How will that transform you? Because there's a promise in Scripture that when you draw near to God, God draws near to you. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and ask Jesus this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want you to listen to him for a moment. as you're praying and as you're listening let me let me share something with you in just a moment what we're going to do is we're going to sing another song and during the song we're going to have prayer leaders that are going to be available in each corner of the room and so they're going to be available to pray with you about any area of your life any at all Uh, it could be about something we've talked about this morning could be healing um you know, I was just thinking this morning, my, my second oldest son has got some really significant swelling going on in his, his right eye. And so, um, you know what we did? Like one of the first things we just prayed for him. We prayed for him again this morning during the service. And so, yeah, like you can bring anything to God at all. And so I'd encourage you to do that during this time. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And, and during that time, uh, during the song, it's not a very long song. So if you want to pray, you're going to want to move quickly to do that. Um, But let me pray for you, and then I want to invite you to do the same thing. God, I'm so thankful that all of the work has been done. I'm even grateful that the Galatians were wrestling with this thing because now we get to sit in their wisdom. We get to sit in your wisdom, leading us by your Spirit. Because I know there are times when I'm prone to trying to justify myself or seek righteousness by the good things that I do or the bad things I avoid. And um, I'm only saved. We're only saved because of you, Jesus, and faith in you. Help us to never get over that truth. I pray that we would wake up every day going through the day, oh my goodness, I've been saved, I've been redeemed, I've been free. I've been adopted, I've got the Spirit, all because of Christ. And I pray that you would teach us how to hold a grudge against sin in our life. I pray that you would teach us how to nurse a grudge against self-righteousness and the thought that I can somehow match the gift that you've given to me through like really good performance. God, we want to live by faith more than anything else, because we know from the scriptures that uh, it's only faith that pleases you. Nothing else does. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer, doesn't matter what location they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us.